Welcome to the Start Over Coder podcast. I am the Start Over Coder, and I'm taking you along on my quest, taking up a new career as a professional developer and pursuing financial independence. In today's episode, I am answering your questions. This is an Ask Me Anything, and some awesome, awesome people have been sending me in some questions, and I'm going to answer them today. So as a reminder, there is one more episode to go of the Start Over Coder podcast after this one. I will be ending at episode 75, and so here we are with the Ask Me Anything. But first, before we do that, actually, I'd like to say thank you to a few people for some new iTunes reviews or Apple podcasts. I got some really, really nice ones recently from Perk General and OK Guardian and Erica. You guys all had some really, really nice comments and really cool things to hear uh, for you to say. So thank you for those. I really do appreciate it. Uh, So now let's dive into the questions. I am going to go through them quite quickly because they are, there are, there are a lot of them. So here we go. The first question is from Ellen who asked, what kind of laptop do I use? So I have a late 2013 13 inch MacBook Pro. It has a 2.4 gigahertz processor and eight gigabytes of RAM. And uh, I haven't really updated the operating system recently. So it's still on El Capitan. And so, yeah, it's not really a supercomputer high flashy spec, but honestly, it's been really great for everything that I've ever needed to do with it. As far as learning to code goes, the only thing that I'm might change if I were to get a new machine would be to get a bigger monitor, maybe like a 15 inch laptop instead of 13 inch, um, or as an alternative, do a proper setup where I get like an external monitor, just because with a workflow and sort of working across different screens, it definitely is a big benefit to be able to sort of lay things out and have everything in front of you rather than having to like switch back and forth between screens and like do tiny little terminal windows to try to fit everything on one screen. So that might be the only thing I would change is getting either a bigger laptop, a bigger monitor or an external monitor. The next question is from Carl, who asked, what was the coding school that rejected you in episode 48? (laughs) It was one of my favorite moments of the year. Uh, That was the Recurse Center in New York City. You can check them out at recurse.com if you're interested. And of course, go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear all about my rejection. The next few questions are all from Erica, so here we go on these. First question, do you think you'd ever start a new podcast, maybe focusing more on financial independence with a few updates on your coding? Uh, To that, I would say never say never. I really do like podcasting a lot, but I really like to make sure that I have really good content to share, and I don't want to just podcast for podcasting's sake, to be honest. So I think rather than starting a new podcast about a different topic, it's more likely that I may take some time from this as a break and then come back when um, you know when I'm ready to on a less frequent schedule or maybe a slightly irregular schedule. Just you know when I really have something to talk about because actually there's still a lot to talk about on my uh, journey of learning to code and pursuing financial independence. So I think if anything I would come back to this one, but I just think I need a break for now. So we'll see about that. Uh, next question: What is life like in general for someone living abroad? Uh, do you ever get homesick, or was it easy to meet new people while you were there? So I think. Living abroad is pretty much the same as living not abroad. For me, at least, you know, going to work, hanging out with friends, all of that pretty much is the same. It's just, you know, different restaurants and things. And granted for me, I was in two English speaking countries, so maybe there are some similarities there. Of course, there is the element of being an outsider or a foreigner in the new place, and um, that is true, but in a city like London where I was living, there are many, many outsiders and foreigners, so that's actually a way to connect with people more than, um, you know, being a problem. And otherwise, I think really it's just blending in. You know, I lived in a city other than where I grew up. I'm from Boston originally uh, for a long time, and, you know, I was in a sense an outsider there, even though it's another American city. So yeah, I really just think you sort of blend in. 
Now, one thing that I don't think I would love to do is move to a very small community as an outsider or even a foreigner, just because, I don't know, that, yeah, that gets a little bit trickier. Um, now, as far as do I get homesick, I don't actually, or not really, not that often, uh, for a few reasons, though. So, first of all, I have lived at least a five-hour flight away from my family since I was 17 when I left home to go to college. And then I do talk to them pretty regularly. So between those two, it's, you know, it's just something I'm used to now personally. And then the other reason is that most of my friends from home, they don't live there anymore either. So we've all kind of spread out all over the world. So when I think about going home, you know, there's, other than my family there, there's not all that much to be uh, homesick about. So no, I don't really get homesick. So that's lucky for me. I know that wouldn't be the same for everybody. And then is it easy to make friends? I would say yes and no to this. So making new friends is never ever the same as friendships with people that you've known just for years since you were young. And so in that sense, new friendships are, I find not to be really as solid as those older friendships. I mean, people can be a little bit more casual with each other, which it's just, you don't have those solid friendships. But that said, there are so many opportunities to meet new people in the cities that I've spent a little bit of time in, whether it's through work or meetups or going to different events and activities around the city. So yeah, I just know I need to make a little bit of an effort to make new friends, and I've had an okay time doing that. Plus, I randomly just personally have several friends who also moved to London, so I also have longer friends there too. But I know, yeah, that can be a tricky thing if you move to a new place. Next question. What has been your favorite part of living abroad? And would you like to make it a more permanent move or just for a few years? So I have been asked this question many, many times, and I have tried also to put it into words why I want to leave where I live and live in London. And I really have not been able to do that, unfortunately. There are so many things that I like about it. And yes, there are a lot of things I like about living in the different cities in the US that I've lived. But when you sum all of those up and then compare what you sum up about all of the things I like about London, it just London for me personally is higher. So that is my personal preference. And yes, I would like to live there for quite a long time. And last question from Erica, do you have any podcast recommendations? I know you mentioned Second Career Devs, and now she is a big fan of that. So not even just coding podcasts, but what are some others that I enjoy? And what made you start podcasting versus just blogging? So there is a long, long, long list of podcasts that I listen to regularly or have checked out at some point and also still recommend about coding, about financial independence, and lots of other topics. So rather than going through them here, because as I said, it is a long list, I'm going to start putting a list on on the startovercoder.com website. So you can check that out and there'll be links there to all of the podcasts that I talk about if they uh, have websites or links or whatever. So visit startovercoder.com slash podcasts, plural podcasts for that list. And why did I want a podcast? I think the main reason honestly is that I just really, really like podcasts. And I was listening to one about personal finance. It's called Radical Personal Finance and the host there is Joshua Sheets. And he has done many, many episodes. He's been doing it for years, but in a few of the episodes he talked quite a bit about podcasting and how accessible it is, how low the barriers to entry are to just try it. So I figured why not? You know, it's not a huge investment in money. It's not a huge investment in time. And I have things that I wanted to share and I wanted to also keep myself accountable with what I was doing. So I figured I'd just give it a shot. And here we are about a year and a half later. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I didn't do blogging just because I don't read as many blogs personally or get excited about them in the same way that I do about podcasts. So that was just a natural choice for me. Next, we've got three questions from Alex. So first question, what is your perception of the job market for entry-level front-end web development jobs? So I have to say, I have not 
done an extensive job search myself. So my experience and ability to answer this question is a bit limited, but my impression is that overall, a lot of companies don't really seem to be investing adequately in hiring junior developers. It's something that I kind of hear over and over again with lots of junior developers that I meet and on podcasts and, you know, on YouTube videos everywhere. It seems to be something that a lot of people are going through. So Alex, I'm sure you are not alone if that is what you're experiencing right now. And of course, it's also different in different markets. So yes, there are some places that are a little bit more open, shall we say, to hiring junior devs. But overall, the impression is that that's not necessarily the case. Now, that said, I think that doesn't mean that there isn't work out there. And maybe it just means needing to do a little bit of different sort of proactive work to build smaller projects first for real clients. So whether that's putting Craigslist ads up and offering your services or just calling local businesses, if you notice that they don't have a website, offering to do it for them for a very low cost. And then at least you've got something to show and add to your portfolio that is like a real life client. This is what I was starting to do and would do if I was still looking for jobs uh, to leave my current job. But all of these sorts of activities, I think really do just give more evidence to any senior developer. And I'm specifically not saying to an employer because, yes, you are being employed by an employer, but honestly, there is a developer or a small team of other developers who are going to be looking for you, who want to hire you as a person. And so they're looking for, you know, if they're going to be taking juniors on and take the time to show them the ropes and really teach them a lot of the things that you just don't know because you're new, they want to make sure that there's proof that that person is capable and willing and going to have the grit to stick with it. So if you, the more evidence that you can show to uh, demonstrate that, I think the better chance that you'll have of getting a job as a junior developer. Second question, Alex says, it's my current plan to build a solid portfolio and apply for jobs online, but I wonder if that route has become so competitive that it's not a realistic way to land a job anymore. As you said, it's so saturated on Upwork that they turned you down talking about me. And yes, that was kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, I think you're right that just building a portfolio and applying for jobs online is, uh, you know, I'd really like to see some hard statistics on the success rate of that approach. My impression from a lot of anecdotal evidence is that that really doesn't work except for maybe a few lucky people because the people who I hear of who do get jobs from applying online, it's always applying online plus reaching out to someone who can refer them or plus getting tipped off by somebody who works in the company. You know, it's never or rarely just that online application that gets you in the door. Uh, because like you said, it's a very saturated market and having been on the hiring side, not necessarily in tech, but, you know, having jobs posted, there are just so many applications that come in that, you know, you look to other people to refer somebody or just anything that can say, yes, this is someone that I should take my time and meet. So I know that is not necessarily the most encouraging advice, but I also don't think it's impossible. And there was a really great episode of the Free Code Camp podcast, well, two episodes, actually. If you go and listen to episodes 28 and 32, it is between the two of them, but even just episode 28, a very, very thorough approach on applying online, but with a little bit of an edge. And yes, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but following those steps would lead to the highest chance of success. And honestly, if I find myself in the position where I am very actively pursuing a new job myself, those steps is, you know, that's the first place I'm going to start. So I would recommend that for you if you haven't already heard it. And all of that said, yes, you do still need the portfolio. So keep working on that too.
And last question, I know that meetups and networking are important, but it's hard to prioritize that stuff since it would take up a lot of time that I could use working on my coding skills. How do you decide how to prioritize these two aspects of the job hunting process? So I would say when you do go out to these meetups and networking events, just make sure that you're doing it well. So one story, I went to a meetup once and I was just talking to a person who went through a boot camp, had graduated and been looking for a job, I think he was looking for a job for nine months or so at the time that I spoke to him. And he had a lot of really good advice for me. So I was really appreciative of that conversation and afterwards followed up with him and told him, you know, it was really nice to meet you. Here are my contact details. If you ever find a job in my company, which is a pretty good and big company um, that are interesting to you that you want to apply for, just let me know and I will refer you internally and I will give you a better chance of getting looked at. And he didn't ever reply to that email. So yes, there is a small chance that I wrote the wrong email address or something. I don't know. But that's a perfect example of if you go to these networking events, if you're looking for a job, which he had been for nine months, you know, any leads you have, you make sure that you follow up on them and that will put you in a better place. So research ahead of time when events come up to make sure that you'll get value out of going, either from the other people who are attending, you know, it may not necessarily be the topic that's of interest, or, you know, make sure that the topic is of interest if you just don't know who the other people are who will be there. But make sure that you'll get some value so that it's not a complete waste of time. And I did talk a little bit about this in episode 63 about how I've sort of started to prioritize these events. So you can have a listen to that episode. And then the other thing to do when you are going to these meetups and networking events is to think about how you present yourself as well. So I think you've definitely got to be a good listener and be good at engaging in conversation so that people just like talking to you. You know, that's a big, unfortunately, a big factor of whether people are going to recommend you for things or even just keep an eye out for you. But that said, you also need to be ready and confident in how you talk about yourself and what you're working on and what kind of job you are looking for. Um, So yeah, finding a balance between talking about yourself so people know how to help you, but also being that listener, you know, not just over talking and saying, I need this, I need this, having a balance between the two so that I think that will give the best chance of being successful in these networking opportunities. So Alex, good luck with your job search. I hope I've answered your questions. And the next few questions are from Krista. So first question, in pursuing financial independence, for us self-supported folk, is coding the best route? And also, is there any threshold to transition completely to a self-learning or school route or just keep at it at one hour a day or so. So for financial independence, the best route, I don't think there is a universal best, first of all. If there is a best route, it's inheritance. If there's a second best route, it's finding something that you personally just really, really enjoy doing and can make you money. And third best, if you don't hate coding, then yes, coding is a pretty good option as far as earnings potential, but it does take a lot, a lot of work. So yeah, I think just be prepared for that. And then is there any threshold for transitioning completely? That is an entirely personal decision, one that I honestly have been struggling with myself for the past year, year and a half or so, because yeah, there things will pull you on both sides, whether it's the income from a job that you already have, or just, you know, really getting excited by the code and wishing you could spend all day working on things. I, I haven't found an answer for myself. Well, I have found an answer in that I didn't jump ship entirely. But when that time comes, what that threshold is, I really couldn't say myself. So I'm, I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that one. Next question. If you had $1,000 to spend, what would be your top resources? 
And Krista says, I've tried Udemy, Colt Steel, and other classes, Free Code Camp, Learn, XYZ the Hard Way, Treehouse, Udacity, Community College, and she is struggling with information overload. And yes, with all of those things, I can absolutely see how you would be struggling with information overload. So if I had a thousand dollars to spend, I have to say I probably wouldn't pay for a class. Instead, I would take unpaid leave from work, um, you know, however far that thousand dollars can get you, whether it's a week, two weeks, a month, what have you. Um, and I would hire a spot in like a co-working space or even just dedicate myself to the library, but that probably might not be the most uh, stimulating environment. So yeah, I'd probably hire a spot in a co-working space, get the benefit of all the people who are around working on cool new things, and I would commit to building a project from beginning to end and documenting the process as I go in whatever that amount of time is that I have. And even better if you can do this with a group of other people. So I mentioned uh, the Chingu project that I'm in right now, building an app from scratch with a few other people. Something like that is great. But the key thing, the best way to spend the time that you have is to just focus on working in a way that you're not distracted. And if you take that $1,000 and that gives you a break from whatever other responsibilities you have, that is what I would do. So if I were to pay for anything, like if I wanted to put it towards a class or something specific, I would look for something like the workshop that I talked about in episode 30. I, as I said in that episode, I learned more in those six weeks than I did in six months learning how to code on my own because, first of all, building a project, you just have to figure things out. And then second, working with a team, you've got that outside pressure to really, you know, step it up and make sure that things happen and they, they happen on time, on deadline. So if I were to pay for anything, it would be something like that. Now, I don't know where you find something like that other than Chingu, which is online and free anyway, other than a boot camp, because that is something that you do in boot camp. But you know, three months and however tens of thousand dollars that that costs is not exactly what you asked. So uh, good luck with that. But yeah, that's what I would do. I would take the time to focus on building something, not necessarily focus on a class in particular. Next question. It seems that web development, computer science, mobile data and security are all really their own things. Is it best to be a generalist or only focus on one? My answer is 100% focus on one to start and get really, really solid in it. Because honestly, only after several years of experience could you expect someone, I think, to be moderately good at multiples of these. Because each one, like you said, is a very deep topic. And yeah, you've got to put a lot of time in. So 100% focus on one thing and make sure that you get really, really strong in that one thing. And by the way, each of those has multiple, multiple sections within each field. So web development means so many different things. So again, you've got to really narrow it down and get good at it. And that's how you're going to build skills, I think. Next question, any idea on how long to really be job ready at working an hour plus a day on learning to code? Is it really like Gladwell's 10,000 hours or Norvig's 10 years? So I personally think it's less about the time spent than the quality of practice that you spend. So I talked about this a bit in episode 33. So go back and listen to that for an in-depth answer to this question. But to give a very short recap, you can send an hour learning how to code by copy and pasting Stack Overflow answers and tutorials to build things, or you can spend an hour learning how to code by reading the documentation to build the same thing. And both get the thing built, but which do you think is going to make you a stronger coder? You know, if you're just copying and pasting other answers or just going along with the tutorial for that hour, 
yes, you get it built, but you're not necessarily going to understand how you did it. And I speak this from experience. So I'm not saying you or anybody in particular, but like, that's what I did. And I can see the difference that when I focus on learning well, then the result is much better. So let's say you spend that hour learning to code by copy pasting or learning to code by really getting in there and learning to code. If you multiply that one hour by 10,000 hours or by the 10 years, then there you go. You see the difference in how that skill is reached and come to. Uh, so yeah, it's not necessarily the amount of time spent. Yes, more is better and will you know lead to a greater chance of being successful. But I think the quality of learning is going to determine how quickly you're job ready. And if you can dedicate an hour a day of quality, quality work, then you'll do really, really well. I think just check out the 100 days of code challenge, you know, look at a few people who have gone through that and see the results there. And I think you'll see that if you really focus, give one committed quality hour a day, then you will be in good shape in a relatively short amount of time. And last question from Krista, with limited time, is it best to do tutorials to learn or just go build? So my answer to this is 100% build, but also kind of both. <laughs> so when you do go and build something in doing that, you'll see very quickly what you don't know and what you need to know. So my response in those scenarios has been to go and find a tutorial that teaches that one thing that I don't know so that I can learn a little bit about it and then implement it immediately into whatever it is that I'm building. So if you don't do a tutorial for that thing, better yet, find somebody who is who knows the topic and then you get the networking aspect of it as well, which is, you know, an added benefit. And then the key, though, I think is once you've built the thing, make sure you talk about it. So go to meetups and or blog about it or do videos or podcasts, whatever. Make sure that you're talking about it and have sort of record and documentation of how you came to solve the problems that you solved along the way, because that's exactly what you're going to be talking about in interviews as you are starting to look for jobs and also is going to provide evidence to people, you know, if you've got a blog somewhere that you can be hired and should be hired and you've got the skills to think through different problems and you know those are all of the things that people want to see when they're hiring so yes build something do tutorials as and when you need them and make sure that you document the whole process as you go so that is all of the questions that I had. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of you who submitted questions. It's been really fun to think about these questions and answers and, you know, think about how what I've learned over the time that I've been doing this and be able to answer them just based on my own opinions now. So I have had to keep things pretty succinct just because this is a little bit of a longer episode with a number of questions. Um, I could go on and on about each of these more and some of you may still hear more from me personally uh, because I maybe didn't get to answer quite fully. But yeah, thank you so much for submitting these questions. And if you didn't send in a question but want to chat about something, um, feel free to reach out to me. You can DM me on Twitter at StartOverCoder, send me an email at StartOverCoder at gmail.com, or leave a comment below this episode on the StartOverCoder website. I am still open to chatting, talking, because um, I love that. That's the fun part. So thank you again for those of you who have submitted questions, uh, because on another thing, it's also been really fun to include people who are listening to this podcast in an actual episode. So one of the unexpected pleasures that I've had of doing this podcast has been the number of people who have found it. You know, I don't do anything to promote this and people have found the podcast, reached out to me. We've, you know, chatted about different things. I've gotten great advice from some people from different comments and emails and, you know, reviews and tweets and everything. So honestly, in addition to the people who have submitted questions for this episode today, 
everyone I've ever interacted with. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening and chatting with me. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast. So I know that sounds like goodbye, but there is actually one more episode to go where I will be talking about what's coming up next for me after finishing this podcast. So look forward to that in the next episode. And if you like what you hear and have enjoyed this journey of learning to code, starting a new career, and pursuing financial independence, why don't you share the podcast with someone else? You can tell them to subscribe and do it through their favorite podcast app, or of course they can visit the startovercoder.com slash subscribe page on the Start Overcoder website. So that's all for this time, signing off.